The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. It's Beyond Reality, and I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thank you for being with us tonight. We've got a great program lined up for you tonight. Jeffrey Joet will be with us. He's an intuitive spiritual medium. We're going to be talking about soul progression. Your soul agreement, also referred to as your soul contract, is the life arrangement your soul has made with your higher self. So we're going to talk about all that tonight with Jeffrey. Um, I just want to make a comment here because it just seems like this uh, coronavirus stuff is getting very, very serious. And I don't know whether or not it's being overhyped. You know, back in the days before 24-hour news coverage or 24-hour weather coverage, you know, we used to get updates on things through our evening news or on the radio or whatever it happened to be. And, uh, you know, we, we learned about the stuff and life goes on. And then you bring in the Weather Channel and now every storm is a major catastrophe. Or you bring in 24-hour news channels and every news event is a major issue because of the nonstop coverage and because of the fact that they have to fill 24 hours a day with content. So they make these things a big deal. But having said that, this one may be a big deal. I, I'm, I'm curious as to what everyone thinks. I'll be reading your comments in chat to see if you think this is being overblown or you think it is something that is going to be significantly, um, it's going to affect us significantly in some fashion. I'm a little bit concerned, Not, not again, not because I'm of getting ill. I, I think that, um, you know, there are ways to prevent that and, and, and be safe when it comes to that. However, I do have a trip planned to go visit my son in Holland and uh, he and I were going to travel around Germany quite a bit and then both of us come home together and I just I'm concerned that some part of that plan may get uh, disrupted by what's happening with this coronavirus. So I've been asking Slick. Yeah. I know, but I know. Well, Slick's trying to get somebody on that we can talk, so we can talk about this. I mean, everyone else is talking about it. We should probably talk about it a little bit too. We can get a health professional on and get an idea um, as to what we should be thinking about all of this. I'd like to get one that is not necessarily an alarmist, someone that looks at it a little more pragmatically and can tell us what we should be concerned about and what we shouldn't. That would be a, a great, great discussion, I think. Anyway, welcome, everybody, again. It's great to see you all here. A lot of new names in our chat room. If you're trying to figure out where the heck the chat room is, go to YouTube. Look for the YouTube channel. It's J.V. Johnson. That's the name of the channel, J.V. Johnson's Beyond Paranormal. And when you find it, subscribe. But that's where the YouTube uh, chat is, and it streams, uh, and the chat is active while we're streaming live. And that's where you can comment, you can ask questions, all of those things. Find us on Facebook. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Also, my page is JV Johnson, or you can find it by looking for JVJ Paranormal. It's probably the easier way to do it. Like and subscribe or whatever you need to do on Facebook so you can follow us there. We appreciate that as well. Let's go to break. Let's get our guest, Jeff Jowett, into the program. It's Beyond Reality. We're looking forward to a great night tonight. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Our guest tonight, Jeff Jowett, is uh, an intuitive spiritual medium. We're going to be talking about soul progression. He's written many, many books, including Lasting Impressions and Mediums, Cherished Messages from Spirit. And by the way, his website, if you want to get uh, information about all of his work, is Jeff Jowett. Jeff is spelled with a G, G G-E-O-F. Jowett is J-O-W-E-T-T. Dot com. You can get a lot of great information. Jeff, welcome to Beyond Reality. Great to have you here tonight. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Now, I've been, I was reading, you know, through information about your career and things that you've done, looking through your website, getting an idea. You've, you've took, taken a really interesting path to get to where you are. Tell us how this started for you. Yeah, absolutely. So ever since I was little, I, I talked to spirit. Um, but I had this desire and, and will to want to understand life from a higher perspective. So I thought I'd take uh, the course of molecular biology. So I, I did molecular biology research. I got my master's at a cancer institute, had a lot of interesting um, teachers along the way. And I ended up uh, starting in biotech, and then I uh, taught at four universities, mostly anatomy, physiology, and understanding the physical Uh, aspect of the body and just how beautiful the wisdom is that's built in the physical. And then I got the opportunity to be the the dean of students at a couple uh, colleges, and that taught me a lot about emotional intelligence. Uh, Suddenly I inherited uh, lots of uh, kids that I helped them, you know, with their, um, the, the real life stuff. But what brought me to California about 12 years ago is I worked for a school for alternative medicine and learned a lot about the energy body. So my path has really prepared me well for understanding uh, the physical and metaphysical. And, and that my passion is to help people understand just how amazing we are as conscious beings. You know, you, t- you talk about it like so secondhand, like, like, you know, anybody could do it. But you've done some pretty amazing things to get where you are. And I want to break some of it down because I found it very, very interesting to read about the fact that when you were young, you had a fascination with death. Tell us about that. Yeah, so when I was in my crib, I can remember talking to spirits. And they, they told me at a young age that I would help people understand life from a bigger perspective. I was raised Catholic, and so I got to be an altar boy. And one of my favorite things was when I'd get called out of school to go serve at a funeral. And it it was just, I wanted to get as close as I could to death because I wanted to understand how it related to life. And what happens to that life force, that spirit, that soul uh, that leaves the body. You know, in fourth grade, I remember uh, seeing my first dead body, which was my great-grandfather, and knowing that he wasn't there anymore, like seeing it and experiencing it. But then that set me on a quest and a knowing and understanding. And even when it come to animals, I used to have a little pet cemetery, and uh, I'd bury little critters, and then, you know, it, I, I'd dig them up in time to see that they decompose. But again, it was that little scientific aspect of myself wondering what what happened? Like, where do they go? What's next? So that that fascination was part scientific curiosity and part spiritual curiosity, from what I'm hearing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when I used to teach anatomy classes, one of the first things I'd have the students do the very first day is I would get them to sit in groups and come up with a discussion about how, how can you tell me what's the difference between 
something that's living and that something's dead. And most of the time we go to the physiological aspects, you know, no respiration, no heart rate, no brain waves. But beyond that, because I remember the experience of uh, dissecting my first cadaver in college and opening it up and just realizing that all the things that were necessary to sustain life were in there, every organ, all the tissues. So what, why wasn't it so alive? And, and it was almost as if I was trying to seek, you know, that organ that contained the spirit of the soul. And so, yeah, it's, it, it's been a fascination with me as, as long as I can remember. Well, I think there's probably two kinds of people in the world. There are people who are fascinated, intrigued by death, and then there are people who simply deny it uh, and therefore don't allow themselves or at least don't admit to themselves that they're fascinated and curious. It's obviously part of life in some fashion, and we all face it eventually, and we face it during our lives as well because we lose loved ones. So I I, I don't think it's it's unnatural in any way to have that kind of a fascination and um, yours led you on a path that uh, gave you some answers. At least you feel like you've gotten some answers along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in graduate school, uh, while I was doing my DNA experiments, I, I actually studied at Roswell Cancer Institute, which is part of the University of Buffalo. And we were required to do a community service um, as part of our education. And I chose to work with terminally ill patients. And I had my first patient's name was Elizabeth. And every week I'd go play board games with Elizabeth. And we had the most incredible conversations. She was a, a bright little angel that really got me to, to think about life from a whole different perspective. Talk about thought changes. But, you know, she would tell me, like, well, I don't understand why people are afraid of me. Uh, my parents are even afraid of me. And she says, I know I'm going to die, but I know I'm going to be there with my grandfather. And, and she just, she didn't have any um, doubt, you know, and, and I just, I, it was just amazing that this little girl, nine years old, that had this absolute belief. And the last conversation uh, we had was over the game of life. And as we're playing the game of life, she was really fulfilling my uh, higher mind about life. But she said to me, she said, you know why you've met me? You've met me because you'll understand that when I'm in spirit, you can tell people on this side that I'll be okay. And that really got me to think about what what path am I really on? And I, my first book I wrote is for parents who've lost children. And children tend to be very uh, creative and ingenious in coming through and play, you know, they still have that playful nature. But wanting us to understand that, Death is just the beginning of a, a new life. It's a, it's a perspective game. And uh, so this, this little girl, Elizabeth, really helped set my mind on a path of being in service to help people understand that, you know, death is just an, an, an illusion and it's a, it's a birth into a different dimension. I read your story about Elizabeth on your website, and I have to admit, it almost brought tears to my eyes. What a beautiful little soul. Now, Elizabeth was a terminally ill patient, and um, but she had such faith and such belief and such an understanding well beyond her years that uh, her physical death was not going to be her the death of her soul. I mean, that's a lot of what I took out of the story. Same for you? Oh, absolutely. And you know, I, I, it was so much easier to deal with my test tubes because I didn't have to think about these higher emotional 
ideas that she was presenting to me before did she just change my whole life she changed the whole perspective about how i saw death even and i saw the excitement with it and you know when i got out of college i started working and volunteering in hospice a lot of my friends thought oh how morbid but i told them how beautiful it was to be there in that transition period uh and and you know ever since then it just i i just i love talking to people about death because it's, it, again, it's, I don't see it as a, a bad thing. It's actually a beautiful thing. And the freedom of your spirit as it leaves the body is just uh, an awesome, awesome experience. Well, I have to say many of us would be liberated if we could view death that way. Going back to the discussion about Elizabeth, um, when she was talking to you and offering you this this guidance one of the things she said was that older people are afraid of me and i think you asked why and she said because i'm going to die there's a truth there many people are hesitant if nothing else to talk to or be around or interact with someone that they know um is near death what is that fear well i think the fear is that we see within ourselves that that that's going to be our path, too. You know, the whole purpose of our relationships here is all the gurus teach us is we're, we're mirrors for each other, and we either project the fear or, or love. But it's, it's that understanding that, wow, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be here forever in this, in this form. And, uh, yeah, it really, it really gets you to think about and appreciate that that's the thing she taught me was to really appreciate each and every day um and, and make it magical she used to always talk about it being magical she used to draw rainbows and talk about everything being magical i don't want to steer too far from the origins of your work um but i do have to ask you as a medium when once elizabeth passed did she ever communicate with you yeah you know i felt her presence once and it wasn't for a couple years but it was more of a reminder as I was getting into my career path and working in biotech and, and um, you know, letting my, my ego get the better of me as far as, you know, being excited about getting promotions and traveling and doing all these things. But it, it wasn't where my heart was. And there was a time where she visited and said, remember what you're here to do. And it really... It really helped me feel that connection again with helping people um, that have lost loved ones uh, to help them understand that they're they're still here and they're still communicating. They're here to encourage. They're here to support. They're here to inspire. But the beautiful beautiful thing about it is we're as much guides to them as they are to us, and so they hear us and they feel us. And as we progress through life it helps them progress and just as they can inspire us telepathically, whether it's in our dream state or our, our daily life, uh, they're giving us friendly little nudges, uh, to help us grow because we're all, it's the unity and oneness team. We're all part of this, this, uh, team. And as one progresses, the whole team progresses. Uh, somewhere along the way uh, in, in your youth, you asked the question, and you maybe have just asked it to yourself, 
but it was something along the lines of why are people that have lost loved ones sad if they believe in God and heaven? Did you ever get an answer to that? Yeah, so the thing that Spirit reminds us over and over and over again when they visit is truly life is a perceptional game. And if you perceive uh, someone as, you know, being gone and lost, um, that's a choice. But you also have the perception of the gratitude and appreciation for the time you shared and for being open-minded and open-hearted for that, you know, to feel their connection as, it, as it's continued. And we have to remember that the physical life is, is a very limited uh, time frame in, in, as far as our the, the life, the infinite life of our soul. And when we get fixated on that, we get into a place of resistance, and resistance leads to anxiety, stress, guilt, shame, fear, all those lower vibrational emotions. And so if, if we can remember the essence of who we truly are, and that's where spirit likes to help us when they come through in readings. But often they tell us, take that quiet time, take that tranquil time, meditate, you know, take a nap, go for a walk, uh, cook, garden, whatever it is that brings you a sense of calm and, and peace, because you're going to feel the essence of who you truly are. You mentioned working for hospice. I know you've been with people near or at the time of transition for them. And you say it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful time. Do you have any experiences with those people at those times that uh, you could share with us that helps validate what you're saying? Yeah, this is, this is a great uh, question. It's one of my first patients and I was doing home care and I was a young young gentleman at that time, like 25, and uh, hospice was mostly older women, and they would send me to the uh, in, um, neighborhoods that were a little more difficult for, for elderly people to go to. So I had this beautiful man named James. He was in his 80s. He was, he was dying of pancreatic cancer, and he had two sisters that were his caretakers, and I would go visit James a couple times a week, and we'd sit. He was in a hospital bed in the living room, and I would sit with him, and he was always watching television. And after a month, I, you know, I, I was just wondering, like, I, I just, I tried to have conversations with him, but he's very quiet, very soft-spoken. So after a month, he, he started to do his transition, and his sisters called me and said, hey, can you get here? He's been in a coma for the last couple of days. So I went and visited him, and I grabbed his hand, and he woke up, and um, he smiled at me. And so I went back out in the living room with the two sisters, and I just said, you know, I wish there was something I could have done to be more helpful. They said, oh, they always said, child, child, you were so helpful. You gave him a smile every time you came. It was that smile that just made him feel so good. And I realized how simple it was to help someone just by giving him, you know, that little bit of a, a smile. And he transitioned a, a couple hours after that. But it's almost as if he waited for me to come. And he gave me a smile. And, and then, you know, he went right back to sleep and, and didn't wake up. But, yeah, just, tr you know, truth is so simple, but there's just so much 
a kindness with it. And, and that he taught me a great lesson in that experience. This may be a difficult question for you to answer. And if you don't have an answer, that's perfectly understandable. Um, I sat with my mother who um, had liver disease and the last time she went into the hospital, uh, she did, she didn't come out and she was in ICU for several days. And one of the things they do there is they quote unquote, make the patient comfortable, which in effect means put them under, um, you know, an opiate that puts them basically to sleep until they die. So I had four days where my mother was there. She was alive, but I couldn't talk to her. And then she passed still under the influence of that, of those drugs. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Should, I mean, I, I almost feel like I was robbed of some final words with her because of that. Um, do you have any opinion? No, again, it's sitting, it's sitting in their presence and just sharing that moment. It, it, their words can't speak it. You know, it, music can't provide the experience for it. It's just being in the presence of each other for that last moment. And many times when people are going through the process of death, it, it's a slow process. It, it's not as if the spirit leaves the body instantaneously. It's like they're gradually leaving. But I'll tell you what's helpful is if, if you are there or if you're just sending prayers or intentions to their, their spirit to help it transition. But see, they're already making contact with loved ones uh, that have crossed before them. And, um, you know, I get the sense your mom's mom was, was there waiting for her because I get them being very close. Yeah. And your mom liked red, correct? <laughs> she absolutely did. Everything she had was red. Yeah, because she's showing me that. So see, she'll give you a little clue to let you know, hey, I knew you were there, and I felt your presence, and it was very, very helpful. You know, we, we focus a lot on birth here and how beautiful it is, but the process of death, the way that the they spirit tells through readings after they've transitioned is, is how beautiful it is, too. And see, I could see your, your grandmother being there to meet your mom and just wrapping her in red, like, because that was just something she was passionate about. Wow. Um, I, I'm not even sure what to say after that, because, yeah, she was all about red. Um, hmm. uh, one of the other things I'll share with you, and my audience has heard this story several times, but because we're on the subject, she passed. It was about 930 in the morning on a Monday, and I was there. I was standing next to her, and I was holding her hand when it happened. And I'd been in that ICU, ICU room for four days. Uh, with only leaving on a couple of occasions to get a little bit of sleep and maybe grab a bite to eat, which I would bring back to the room. Not once during those four days did I ever feel any real air movement. It's not like a, a fan would kick on or the you know the, the the HVAC would kick on and I would feel air movement. Never did I feel it. When I was standing next to her bed and she passed, as I saw her take her last breath, seconds after that, a gentle breeze crossed my face oh yeah and it was distinct there was no mistaking it no there was no you know no other air movement in the room whatsoever the you know the curtains nothing was moving but it was a very very distinct breeze coming across my face from my right side to my left side and i to this day will swear that was my mother yeah absolutely and 
many people have those experiences uh, where they'll feel their presence when they cross. And I think it's important that someone, you know, in the family will have that experience. Uh, so there is an understanding and a knowing that, you know, her, her spirit, it has found its way out of the body. You know, we're very brave spirits to come to this world. This is a very difficult place to come. It's the emotional plane. And there's usually a great sense of uh, relief and freedom leaving a body that's been diseased, uh, that, that's been, you know, a difficult place to be. And many times spirits will stay in the body until they're assured everyone on this side will be in a place of understanding um, and, and have some time to, to process. But when, when it's time to go, it's just, it, it's just such a joyful, uh, just like I say, just like the, we would see a birth on this side. Um, I, I keep hearing the name Lois, too. On my side, from, from, um, from connected with my mother? Yes. She had some friends. She had two friends named Lois. Um, I, I, I feel they're together, and I feel like they used to play bridge or cards. I <laughs> Pinochle. Cards yeah, it was Pinochle. <laughs> okay. It was Pinochle. So see, that they, they find each other, and it's like, a, it's like having a big family reunion, class reunion. And, and I think it's important that process happens because then the memories come back. And see, the most important thing like when your mother transitioned would have been to have her life review, like reviewing the circumstances of her life. And it, it, it's uh, done so that she can choose the memories that she saw as beneficial to her. And then maybe ones that uh, held her back because the spirit then will make plans for a, for a new incarnation. And they'll set up the circumstances of that based on, what they learned from their previous life and it's it's uh it's a beautiful process i i have a type of reading that i call a soul progression because i like people to understand how their soul is progressing as it's moving forward um because there's really no end point it's a continuous improvement process at some point we probably our consciousness achieves certain uh different levels of enlightenment for example, when we realize that we are one with our soul, our spirit, and the divine, we no longer need to incarnate here anymore. And, and you know, that's how I would see like Buddha and Christ. They, they reach the level of consciousness where the physical is, you know, is no longer uh, to their benefit because they're in a different level of awareness. I could talk about this part of our discussion for hours by itself, but I want to move the conversation somewhere else, and I want to pick up on some of these religious ideas and things that kind of were epiphanies for you as you progressed through this. And one of the things that you talk about is that you recognized that you could most connect to God through nature. Explain that. Yeah, so I was raised Catholic. I was an altar boy. I went to catechism class. And there's all these conversations about God, 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 and, you know, trying to read and understand them as a person. And even, you know, when you look at some of the beautiful masterpieces of art that show God as this white-bearded man in the heavens, but not feeling that. I just didn't, you know, feel that being it. But what I did know is the more time I spent in nature, and I spent a lot of time alone in nature 
um, there, there, there's that stillness, there's that tranquility, there's that, it, it's like feeling uh, the, the, the true essence of my being and knowing that somehow I was connected to something bigger. And it, nothing made me feel more comfortable. Nothing earthly could ever fulfill. I, I love chocolate. You know, I love running. I love um, the mountains. I love playing tennis like nothing. No, no person, no place, no thing could fulfill that, that feeling, that sense. And I don't know why I, I was aware of it at such a young age, but I've always tapped back into it because it really truly is a place of renewal, a, a place of uh, healing, but also a place when I really want to think about what's important for me today, um, I, I go to that place, and it's it's indescribable. Again, words can't can't describe it. But you know, wonderful authors like Eckhart Tolle talks about uh, inner peace and uh, inner stillness, and um, you know so many other practices, the whole practice of yoga is, you know, becoming one with your breath so that you're going within, but it's just, to me, nature is the perfect place. It's, it's the holiest place. It's the most sacred cathedral because nature emulates the essence of harmony, of balance, of stillness, of calm. And that's our true nature. And when we find ourselves in there, and I think that's why people always gravitate, the beach, the mountains, the lake, the river, because whether they're consciously aware of it or not, they're, they're healing themselves. It's a, it's a baptism into, into stillness. And my favorite book by Eckhart Tolle is Stillness Speaks. And the, the, the whole idea is, is that when you put yourself in the presence of stillness, you can hear your higher self speak. Your higher self is the voice of your spirit. It's, it's, it's the wise, divine voice of your spirit. Your spirit has been with you for every incarnation you ever had, every experience you ever had. It knows you better than anyone or anything. And to commune with that is, is, is amazing. You know, your best friend, your greatest teacher, your wisest healer are all within you, and nature allows you to, to find it and to hear it and to feel it. How does your work in uh, and study in biology and then microbiology help you come to understand all of this? What did you learn in that process that connected with all these other ideas? Well, no matter what level we look at, whether it's the atomic le- level, the cellular level, the tissue, the organ, the organism, every level has uh, divine wisdom built into it. And every level is a representative of, of the level above it. And it's all an integrative holograph. The other beautiful thing biology has taught me is that everything is connected to everything. Because, again, we all are made up of the same elements, the, the same atoms. And those atoms exchange, whether it's a rock, a star, a person, a tree, a dog. You know, everything's just interconnected. And, and that essence of oneness. But the beauty of it is how 
there's this it, perpetual motion. Everything's always vibrating. Everything's moving. Everything's dancing. And to to understand that on every level, and how every level complements, uh, you know, every other level, it, it's it's astonishing. We have. Uh, I've heard you say. Um, um... I know. I think you may have used the word wisdom. I'm not even sure, but in in in, in the context of this grand scheme, this design, and are we talking about an intelligent design here that we might use to uh, describe creationism? Is that what we're thinking? Yeah, but the, how how I would take create uh, creation further, like a step further, is just the word consciousness and consciousness is so important because not only are we manifesting and creating just like a bee can build a hive, you know, or a beaver build a dam, but we have this awareness and the awareness is the understanding from our, our spirit, which is connected to our soul. We, we, we know what we're doing. There's an awareness and an understanding and, and that's truly amazing. And, and to, Try to encapsulate that and understand that. That's really, I think, what my mission has been uh, and will be, you know, for probably many more incarnations. But it's to understand the essence of it. Because, again, I love science. I love learning about natural law. I mean, everyone from Darwin, you know, to Einstein and everything they taught us, it's nice to have rules and laws so that we can describe uh, try to describe and communicate to one another what this is beyond, you know, the physical. But remember that physical science and why it's called physics is the study of the, the physical aspect of things. The metaphysical part is the really fascinating part, and that's really where there's been a lot of uh, pioneers, you know, in the last couple decades exploring, you know, what what about the the scientific properties outside the, the physical and there's just so much more for us to know and understand but really and truly we don't need to intellectualize it intuitively it, it's sensing it and feeling it and, and knowing it and understanding it and, and you know the question you asked earlier about just being in the woods and being in the presence of that energy it's it I, you don't need to describe it you need to just experience it and feel it and know it's there but be conscious and aware and, and bring yourself back there. Um, and, the, you know, the great thing about our consciousness is we don't even physically have to be in the forest. You know, we could be sitting in an airport waiting for our next flight, and we can imagine ourselves being there and connecting with that energy. That's, that's how amazing our consciousness is. We're talking tonight about the soul. And our guest tonight is Jeff Joey. Jeff, uh, Jeff, how do you pronounce your last name? I should have I should have had Eddie ask uh, when he when he got you on the program. Oh no, you're you're saying it right, Jowett. Jowett. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Jeff Jowett is our guest, and his website is his name. Jeff is spelled with a G G E O F. You mentioned physics before we went to the break, Jeff. Um, tell us what the field is, because I know when you get into talking about physics, you talk about the field. Yeah, so the field is, is really the universe. Everything in the universe can be measured as a vibration of energy, and everything resonates at a different vibrational frequency. When we're in physical body, we would witness things that are vibrating at a lower frequency as 
being solid, as being physical. But there are many, many layers. Um, as we know now with the instrumentation we have, you know, we can measure microwaves, radio waves, ultraviolet waves. So there's energy existing. So the field is really, it, it's really the universe. It's the playground of, of all energy. It, it's the essence of all there is. And the, the field is, is fascinating because we're, we're a part of it. And if we can understand more about ourselves as energy we can be more playful playing in the field with the, the, the energies and the vibrations. And, you know, as conscious beings, we have the unique ability to change the frequency of energy in that field, and that's where we can manifest things. One of my favorite concepts uh, relative to that is something Albert Einstein came up with the term crystallizing consciousness, because essentially what we're doing, we're, we're believing something, we're feeling something, we want to manifest something, and we actually can physically manifest it, whether it's a partner, you know, a job, a house, we're constantly crystallizing consciousness because we have the ability to take energy from that field and, and manifest. And, you know, this is where Esther Hicks has uh, amazing work with her channeling Abraham and talking about law of attraction. And she always talks about the vortex, uh, that energy field that's around us. You know, I see it as our auric field. And again, if you think of Pigpen from Charlie Brown, he's always got that, you know, dust floating around him. Well, you have atmosphere around you, and that is your link to the field. And whatever in that that dust bowl around you, that the aura, your beliefs, your thoughts, your feelings, your karma, everything that defines you is in that field. And it, we all participate with the same rules, whether we're you know Jesus. Hitler or um, uh, Winnie the Pooh, whoever you are, we all play by the same rules, and the, the, those are the natural laws. And this is what I want to really talk more about in my upcoming writing, is to help people understand, because people understand the law of attraction, but we can't just, like, sit on our couch and, you know, want to manifest things, there's other laws like the law of action where you take purposeful, meaningful actions uh, to manifest something. And, you know, the law of vibration, the law of compassion, there, there's so many laws, but they all complement each other. And if we can learn and understand how those all work, uh, we could really master that field and, and manifest uh, some, you know, miracles. Miracles are natural. They're, they're supposed to happen. They're called miracles because they, we might not be aware we could do that based on our current level of consciousness, but as we become more and more aware as conscious beings, uh, miracle, you know, the idea of a miracle really isn't exist anymore. Jeff, you seem to have been traveling two highways at the same time here. One of them was a spiritual highway. You have sensitivities and insight uh, that would be considered a bit of a spiritual gift. And you were also traveling a scientific highway with your study through biology, molecular biology, and, and the other work you've done in the scientific community. How do you reconcile those two? Do you feel they're at odds? And I imagine that some people in the scientific community may have felt they were at odds. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, if you really look at the the masters, the the, the scientists that have really 
evolved us, uh, you know, from Mance Planck, again, to Einstein, to Carl Sagan. They all became so spiritual because the more they learned, the more they knew they didn't understand, but they knew there was something bigger. And they also seemed seems like there's this commonality in this club of evolved beings, you know, Madam Curry, uh, where they have, they get to an understanding that there is something bigger and everything's part of it. And they, they just, they, they go within more. Like they, they understand that it's a internal process and not an intellectual process. And I think that's the beauty of science is it's really an art form. And any genius will tell you that whatever they presented, it came through the through them and not from them. And that's that's the beauty of science. So science is is giving these individuals the opportunity to take uh, you know what's unknown or what's undefined and putting it into a form, whether it's a mathematical formula or a model to help us understand. Is it fair to say, is it fair to say, and, and I'm sure you've been watching this closely, we have guests on the program that often talk about this, but is it fair to say that as science starts to open its mind a little bit, its collective mind, and starts to look into some of these things, we're starting to actually see scientific evidence that supports many of these ideas? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, look what technology uh, what's happened with technology. You know, a great example is, is neurobiology. It was just in the 90s where we had an explosion of the understanding of the brain and the nervous system because at one time everyone thought, you know, the brain's hardwired and that's just how it is. Well, now we have a much greater understanding that it's actually or very organic. And as you use certain parts of your brain, you develop interconnections between the neurons. Parts of your brain you don't use tend to atrophy. Um, as you learn something, you actually physically change some of the neurons in your body. And this is important to understand of how our consciousness actually influences, again, crystallizing consciousness. It actually causes a, a shift in the physical. And, you know, science, again, is, is wonderful, but we can't limit it just with formulas. They're, they're you know, and, and we have to understand things uh, from even bigger, bigger, bigger perspectives. And look at the, the field of astronomy just in the last decade. Now that we have, you know, things like the Hubble telescope that are looking way, way, way beyond what we even imagined. Yeah. And they're, they, they're identifying nebulas and black holes and white dwarfs. And it's just, you know, it's endless of what we can learn and understand. But I think... The, the scientists that have evolved and it contributed, they tend to, uh, what I, I love to read about them, but what I tend to see a commonality of is they get very humble and knowing and understanding that even though I presented, you know, Einstein, this theory of relativity, it's, it's still very limited in the grand scope of understanding and knowing all there is. And I recently read about a study where uh, scientists are starting to conclude that consciousness and thought can actually alter DNA. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is my, my philosophy. So when I was 
doing my DNA work, um, we were we were looking at mouse DNA, and we were looking at genes. And my study was actually on highly repetitive sequence of DNA. So these repetitive sequences that were repeated 200 or more times. Now, if you look at a, a piece of DNA, you know, 90% or more of it, they called garbage DNA. It was just filler. Now, DNA is the only biomolecule in, the, in a biological system that can actually crystallize. And one of my favorite experiments to do in biology, one of the first one is you, you put it in ethanol and it, it crystallizes. And it, it's, it's amazing. But see, I believe, just like the crystals in your watch, your, you know, your computers, your smartphones, Crystals store information, and I believe your karma and your strong beliefs and so forth are, are carried in your genetic material. And that filler DNA, I believe, um, contains that information. And according to the information, it can bend and shift whether or not a gene is more likely to be expressed or repressed. And uh, you know, gene expression was huge when when I was in grad school, and it's not just about the gene. It's about whether or not there's access to get to the gene to express it. And if you have hundreds of thousands of these little uh, DNA bases um, influencing the structure and shape, and again, based on they've shown thought, um, saying a prayer, I mean, look at the, the waters. I can't remember the Japanese scientists. He did the water studies. Like if you prayed to the water or if the water is around someone who's depressed, the whole molecular structure of the water molecule changed. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah, I remember that study, and I don't remember the details, uh, but I do remember um, some of it. So I'm going to ask you uh, a pretty big question here, uh, and we might have to go to break before we follow it up, but this kind of opens up the discussion uh, about what our main topic was here. We're talking about soul progression. So we use the word soul. We often think of a spiritual component. But if we have to really define it and try to understand what the soul is, how would you explain it to somebody? So the simplest way to describe it is it's, it's consciousness. It's awareness of self. And it's a holograph. Just like every cell in your body has all the information for all the other cells, you, as a conscious being, have all the wisdom and understanding of the whole universe. So your soul is, is, a, is a holograph of the whole, and it has the unique ability to be aware of itself, but also to consciously change and shift uh, you know, energy around it according to all the, the natural uh, rules and laws. So I believe our soul is, is a cell in, in part of source, creator, God, whatever you call that higher power, universal consciousness. So if someone is a Catholic, let's say, and they believe the soul is a divine product, part of the divine, and it, it, it's eternal, uh, that's what you're saying here as well, right? Yeah, and if you use the analogy of energy, too, energy and the soul, just like energy and God or source creator, it's all the same. Always has been, always will be. Um, you can't destroy it. You can't create it, but you can change its form. It, it, again, I, just, I believe we're all part of God, and that's, that's the issue I've had with religions is, is trying to get my hands around why they 
want to, some religions like to show that you're actually separated from God and that, you know, you, you, and then you need a savior or you need a, an individual between you and God. And I, you know, it's impossible to be separated from source, from creator, because you're part of it. You're, 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 you're the, the essence of it. So how could you be separate other than because you have a consciousness, you can convince yourself that you're separated. And that's sin. The whole word sin comes from the idea that you are separated from God. And it's, it's actually impossible to be, but you can talk yourself into it when you, when you come into physical form. As a medium in, in your ability to communicate with the other side, have you been able to get, and I know you don't have these kinds of converse, conversations per se, but have you been able to get verification of, on, on some of these ideas or these concepts by actually communicating with spirit on the other side? You know what I, I, I do, JV, is I actually use my intuition, which is the voice of my own spirit, to talk to, you know, to other spirits. But yeah, I, I do. And again, the way they show me stuff, it's more, it's like a, a picture, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. It's right. because some of these things are so hard to describe, but the imagery they show. And again, if you go to the physical body, and this is why I love teaching anatomy, because all the wisdom and truth and understanding of your, your spirit is found in your, your physical body. I mean, just take a bone, just the whole way that the crystallization, you know, of the calcium and phosphorus forms around these elongated collagen fibers and so forth. It's just every little part of us is just filled with gobs of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And I think really my, aha moment was when I wrote my third book, which is on the chakras. And, and the way the chakras were presented to me through higher consciousness was there's seven centers of consciousness within us. And just as, as if, if you consider chiropractic science or acupuncture where you have meridians and, and so forth, there, there's, a, there's a structural organization in our nervous system which communicates with all parts of our body. Secondary to that is we have an endocrine system right down the center of our body, like our central nervous system, that communicates using chemicals with all parts of the body. But through these centers, right down the middle, are consciousness centers where your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, your beliefs, your attitudes will influence the energy in those centers, which will then influence the organs associated with that, that center. And to me, that's so important to understand. You know, Louise Hay and Carolyn Mace, amazing pioneers in the whole idea of mind-body-soul connection. But here it is. It's the Holy Grail. You know, a great example is a heart chakra. The heart chakra is all about loving kindness. And the big lesson people are learning and understanding is that love is the essence of themselves. That love of self is the foundation of love of everything else. And... Associated with that is your, your heart, your lungs, your, your circulatory system, and your respiratory system. So someone who tends to reject that idea, who tends to feel vulnerable, who, who tends to associate love with judgment, expectations, and, and pain and judgment, tends to, over time, develop a dis-ease or uneasiness, which could be emotional, it could be resentment, it could be hate, it could be 
prejudice, or it can manifest into something physical like lung cancer or heart disease. And again, if you look at uh, epidemiology in a family, and this is what always fascinated me, when you look at a family and, and you look at the correlation between a disease and it, is it actually a gene? And, and I believe, you know, genes are responsible for some of it. But again, if we go back to that filler DNA, which influences the shape of the DNA, or is it an attitude or belief in that family that is propagating that disease to present itself? Because remember, disease presents itself for us to be called to that area to heal it, uh, to heal it uh, from, um, you know, a metaphysical uh, understanding of ourselves. And, and that's why it's so important to, you know, know thyself. But Carolyn Mace and Louise Hay would tell you that your physical body is a bibliography of everything you think, feel, and experience. And if disease shows up somewhere, it's a call to healing. And Louise Hay always says you have to feel it to heal it. And so that's why disease can be such an important teacher to us. Because even if the body doesn't heal through the process of that disease, the spirit has a great chance uh, to understand itself and to heal um, in that lifetime. I want to take you back to something you were said earlier, and this relates to the soul, but you you said it in a different context. You were talking about your experience, your first experience with the cadaver. And you said that, you know, you were looking at a body here that had all the components needed to to exist as life, yet it was not alive. What have you determined happens? What happened in that case? What happens in every case where a body ceases to live? Is it the soul leaving the body? Is that death? Yeah, that, that, that's actually it. And the only way that the, the body can stay organized, it, see, it goes against the whole law of entropy. Law of entropy says everything's vibrating and moving and things tend to fall apart. It takes energy to maintain the structure of something. And you have millions of layers of structures within your physical body. When that life force leaves, the law of vibration you know, causes it to deteriorate and, and to, to fall apart. But, yeah, it's that life force. When that life force is gone, that's that bright light. Like, if you look at a body that no longer has the spirit in it, there's, the auric field is diminished. When I saw my grandfather lying in his casket, that's why I instantly knew, like, he wasn't there. Like, there was no energy around him. There, there, he had this beautiful energy field around him. And, you know, I that when I saw him lying up there, it's like, wow, he's not there anymore. I really, really got it. It's like, wow, he's not there anymore. I just didn't know at that point, where did they go? But I knew it wasn't there anymore. So if, if that is in fact, what happens at death, the soul leaves the body. That's what makes the body lifeless. Who decides when the soul leaves the body? Does the body deteriorate in a way so that the soul has to leave it? Does God say, and whatever you believe God is, or what, whatever you substitute the word God if you want to, does God decide when it's time, or does the soul itself decide it's time? The soul, it's all the soul. And see, that's the wonderful gift of divine source, God, is we have the free will. But our soul knows the ideal time to leave, not just for its Self, because the soul is selfless. It does it also in relation to the people associated with, with that person, whether it's family, friends, or someone who might have 
done an activity, like they shot a person and that person leaves, there's, there's lots of layers uh, associated with that soul because we're so interconnected on so many levels. And so it knows the perfect and divine timing to go, and it's never an accident. Like when spirit comes through and says, oh, you know, my mom's going to tell you I died in an accident, it wasn't an accident. Oh, this was something that was, it, it was divinely timed uh, for whatever the karma and understanding is. You know, there's a, been a lot of work done with self-hypnosis and looking um, at the soul. And one of the more recent books I've read is, uh, Schwartz's book on your soul's your soul gift, it's called. And what it's Robert Schwartz. And what Robert Schwartz does is he, he works with nine different mediums and intuitives. And they look at how a lot of the events we would see as being very tragic are actually pre-planned events. Like, for example, your mom could have chosen to get her cancer and to leave at a certain time to influence uh, the well-being of the whole soul family. So there, there could have been a lesson for you to learn exactly, you know, when she was leaving and what you were going through at that time um, and, and interconnected to so many other uh, individuals, you know, in, the, in that soul family. But everything from poverty to sexuality to incest to abortion to, uh, you know, caretaking there there's another uh, you know amazing thing in, in the process of caretaking you might be assigned to take care of someone but it might be teaching you patience and a, a higher level of understanding and and self-love because caretaking is you have to be a very mature soul to sign up for that it's, it's a it's a very challenging um situation for, for a soul to go through or choosing a body where you're mentally, you know, disabled. Um, imagine how much trust and understanding you have to have to be in that body, uh, to, to know, but you're, you're probably, you know, it's not, again, just your lesson. It's the lesson of all the people that are uh, taking care of you, but there's so many of these pre-birth plans we have coming in, uh, that are really important to the development and the evolution of the soul. And again, it's not an individual process. It's, it's, it's usually involved in many, many souls all connected to that, that incident. So nothing's by chance and nothing's circumstantial. Everything's, there's just this divine plan. And, and then as you come here, you come with that plan, but you do have your karma to, to have your freedom to make choices. So as you go through the experience, your soul might say, well, you know what, instead of leaving right now, I'm going to hang out for another six months because this is going to be beneficial, you know, for, for, for whomever is involved. Jeff, my next question is about soul and spirit. Are they the same thing? Is there a difference? And if there is, what is the difference? Yeah, so how I define them is spirit is an aspect of the soul. And the analogy I like to use is if you think of your soul as a, a body of water like a lake, your spirit would be like taking a glass of water out of that lake. So an aspect of your soul will come and incarnate into the physical. And again, you can think of your, your physical body then as, as the glass, and you scoop up some of that water, which would be uh, the water uh, from that 
that body of water. So it contains all aspects of, of the soul, but the spirit is just a small aspect of it. It's, it's that little pioneer that's going to come and explore uh, as it comes into the physical plane. And then once it's done with its lesson, it will empty itself back into the body of water, and it will bring the wisdom and understanding from that lifetime with it. What is the soul agreement? You've talked about the soul agreement. Um, tell us what that means and why it's important. Yeah, so a, quite a while ago, I, I've studied Edgar Casey since I was a little boy. Edgar Casey used to do a lot of work in under, helping people understand their 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 souls, and he did uh, many fourteen thousand documented readings, and. I got to a point in my work where I really wanted to help people understand more what their life path was. Why are they here? Why do certain things happen uh, to people while they're here? And so uh, as I meditated and connected with my higher consciousness, you know, they let me know that I could have access to the Akashic records like so many other people. The Akashic records are the records of the soul. And so soul progression reading is where I do self-hypnosis process, and I go to the Akashic Records, and I understand what is the karma that someone is working through in this lifetime. The karma that was created in previous lives is called ripe seed karma because it's already ripe, it's already harvested. And whatever that ripe seed heart uh, karma is, and if we use the example going back to the heart chakra, let's say the archetype is that that actor, that actress energy, they feel vulnerable. They associate pain and suffering with, with love. You know, they, they, they only experience love where there's been expectation and judgment. And um, so that would be a, a form of right seed karma. So they would choose a body, and just like at Halloween, you choose a, a Halloween costume. You're going to choose a body that has a personality that's going to allow you to um, navigate the waters uh, with that that um, soul agreement. So just as your, your Halloween costume has a personality, your physical body has a personality. It has the ego with it. And so you'll pick the body, you'll pick your parents, you'll pick some significant relationships that you're going to have while you're here. And then once you come here to have that uh, um, ex- life experience, you create more karma. Soul progression is... What, what's the progress my soul's making? Where am I at now in this, this process of healing? So not only is it helping you understand, okay, this is why I came in this lifetime, but this is where I've progressed so far relative to, to that. And, and I feel it's helpful for people to understand that because whatever their soul is working on, and, and if you have an understanding of that, you'll know what type of relationships will be most beneficial for you, what activities, hobbies uh, would be beneficial to you? What type of relationships, uh, you know, are going to be important in, in the evolution? And, you know, what kind of career path might even complement what you're working toward? Because it's really important. I mean, I often tell my friends this, Earth is a great place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live here. I'm talking <laughs> in terms of, of the spirit. You know, it's, it's fun to come and explore, but when I talk to spirits that have crossed over, they they're pretty excited about where they're at and the, the sense of freedom uh, they have there and being removed from all these emotional vibrations that we deal with while we're here in the earth plane. 
One of the things I've always had trouble understanding is in this concept of the soul, and if the soul continues to come back and live many lifetimes, as we define it by a physical lifetime here on Earth, um, why is it so difficult and actually very impossible for many people to carry any memories forward? Uh, you know, we do have people that have past life regressions and talk about it and can, but most of us don't. I don't. Th- I think that's probably the exception, not the rule. Yeah, you're you're correct in, in that, JV. And I think the reason for that is your your soul wants you to come. It wants that aspect of it, the spirit, to come with blinders on so you focus on that lesson. It would be like going to university and, you know, you're going to focus on physics instead of biology, biochemistry, geography, and so forth. You're going to focus on that lifetime because it wants you to get that. Now, if you want to get some understanding of why you're here with that lifetime, there's some openness that that can happen there. But also, um, it's... When I go to the Akashic Records and, and look at why someone's here, they're only going to give me a limited perspective, enough to help that person understand why they're here, what's most beneficial for them, what obstacles might be preventing them from achieving what they're achieving, um, and what, what would be in the best interest of an understanding of that soul now. But that's the limitation, because I'll do a soul progression and they, they're pretty detailed, these reports I get. And I'll go, I'll go to two past lives where this karma was created. And they'll show me, you know, for, for example, I did one today where an individual um, was, was in Ireland. And she, she, he was a she in that lifetime. And she was the only daughter. And her parents sent her to the convent because they were poor farmers. And, and they thought this would be a better form of life. She's working a lot on the heart chakra, so she felt rejected. She, and she had this pattern in, in past life. They're going to show, you know, specific parts about that life. But then the person will say, well, what was my name? You know, what, what, they want to know the details. The details aren't there. What's important is you have an understanding of this character uh, of yourself that existed, and they want you to feel the, the energy and experience of that character so you have an understanding it. It's amazing because when I present these, you know, 99% of the time people say, oh my gosh, you know, when I was young or that's why I always have this feeling about this or why I have an attraction for that. And one of the validations you can get with soul progressions or, or past life information is if you instantly meet someone and you have that connection or you go to a location and you just know it. You know, I've been to a couple places, Florence, Italy, Edinburgh, Scotland. I did not need a map when I was in either one of those places. I knew where everything was. I just, it was just a knowing. So there was some memory, some soul memory, I believe. But for most, the most part, it's, it's not there. Now, I believe everyone has the ability to be put into a hypnotic state or a meditative state so that they can feel and experience, um, you know, some aspect of a past life. But again, so many people are focused on, you know, the physical day-to-day stuff, but it's just white noise blocking them Mm. from hearing, feeling, and understanding, you know, the essence of why they're here. By the way, Florence is one of my favorite cities. I think it's probably the most beautiful city in Europe. Um, Let's talk about reincarnation for a minute. First of all, 
what is it? Is it is it the soul just coming back to live another life, and it will will it necessarily be another human life? Um, and if if it's real, how does it work? Uh, if I pass and I want to see my mother, but she's reincarnated reincarnated into another lifetime, will I not be able to see her? No. So there tends to be groups of families that we like to hang out with. Um, now, Michael Newton did quite a bit of work on Destiny of the Souls, Journey of the Souls. Uh, Brian Weiss has done a lot of uh, self-hypnosis, and he's written several really good books on the understanding of reincarnation. But reincarnation is the mechanism that allows us to work through our karma. Really simply put, that's how you can see it. So think about it this way. Imagine in this lifetime, if you chose to be an actor, you can act all these different parts. You can be a villain. You can be a hero. You can be rich. You can be poor. You could be a male. You could be a female. By playing all these different parts, you get to really know and understand yourself from many different perspectives. And it, it allows you. So reincarnation is that process of wearing different meat suits, costumes. You know, it's, you're just you're changing up uh, the costume so that you get to have that experience from uh, various perspectives. But that's really truly how you get to know yourself and understand yourself and uh, work through the karma. There's different types of karma, but ultimately we want to get to what's called zero-point karma. And once we achieve that in the physical plane, we're done with the physical plane. We don't, you know, we don't have to come here anymore. Once we hit zero-point karma, we no longer reincarnate on the physical plane. That's correct. And that's, again... Jesus, Buddha, there's mm-hmm. certain entities that have achieved it, and therefore they're done with the physical plane. And then it's just eternity in this greater, uh, the, the field? Yeah, and my understanding is there's different levels of, of um, existences or dimensions that we experience. I haven't looked much beyond this one because just yeah. trying to master this one right, is, right, right. is big, but, <laughs> but I'm sure there's just levels. Um, so ultimately we get to the point of being in that awareness and understanding that we're one with everything. And then, and then I think, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're at the top of the pyramid. Right. You mentioned um, in, in, re- in reference to past life, uh, understanding and and soul experience, uh, you know, meeting someone that you you know immediately have a connection to. Is that what a soulmate is, or is that something else? It can be. Um, you know, soulmates. Many times when I do my soul progression readings, people want to know who's my soulmate, who's my soulmate. Well, a soulmate is are are is any soul that's helping you change or shift your consciousness toward the evolution of your soul or toward the progression of your soul. Many times soulmates are adversaries. They're people who get, get under your skin. You know, they, they, they cause that huge change in your life. It might've been the boss that fired you, uh, the relationship that left you. Um, those, because they're providing you an opportunity to really, uh, you know, know yourself from a whole different perspective. So you can have soulmates within your family. You can have soulmates at work. You can have, soulmates that last for five minutes or a lifetime. Yeah, there are romantic uh, soulmates, but again, it, it, a soulmate to me is it's 
two souls that are helping each other evolve toward their mission of overcoming the karma that they they came here to to live through or 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 to heal through. Jeff, do animals have souls? Specifically, our pets, which many people consider to be part of their families. Yeah, absolutely. Now, my belief, and this is just what I've been shown, and what what I feel and understand is that. All living creatures have souls, but souls belong to uh, different species, just like, you know, dogs and cats are different species. But they, they have a gravitation, they have a pull, they have a magnetism towards certain individuals. So you can have a pet that will um, reincarnate with you, um, you know, lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. You know, the beautiful thing about pets is pets have a, a very unique um, pers- persona, and they are great teachers. They might teach us a lot about unconditional love, or they might teach us about patience, or they might teach us about, um, you know, just always being there. The thing that's so important, though, I tell people is, you know, animals are wonderful. They're beautiful creatures, but don't substitute animals 100% for your personal relationships because the personal relationships and the karma that we're working through is really significant um, with, with, the, with the people. So we don't want to isolate that way. Pets are, are great uh, to have around to complement us and to, to help us to grow. Uh, but the, the work we do human to human uh, while we're in the body form is, is really beneficial to the evolution of the soul. Jeff, you've got, uh, I think, if my count is correct, at least four books that you've published. Uh, give us a little yeah. idea of what each of them is about. And if you had to recommend to someone who is new to your work, which of the books should they start with? Okay. The, the, well, the one I would have them start with would be the last one, which is Lasting Impressions. So Lasting Impressions is really like a memoir of my 25 years as a medium. And I picked 25 readings out. For, for a couple of years, I was trying to write a book on mediumship, and my scientific mind was kicking in, and I was going to talk about the mechanisms of it and so forth. But people are always fascinated. Like, I have friends and family that always say, tell me a story from readings this week. Uh, you know, what are the stories? So Spirit planted the idea in my mind and says, why don't you help people understand the whole process of mediumship from the perspective of stories? So the book has uh, four parts. The first part, is our stories written from the perspective of the medium, myself. The second group of stories are from the sitter, the person receiving the messages. The third set of stories are from the perspective of spirit and, and how spirit's involved in the communication. And then the last part of the book is all based on the message, because spirit communication is all about the messaging, the signs and symbols uh, that come through to help people understand and, and convey and communicate uh, insight, encouragement, information. So that book, I think, is really helpful to help people understand the whole idea of what mediumship is. It's not hocus-pocus. It's not witchcraft. It's not about predicting futures. It's simply using evidential information so that we know who's presenting themselves. And usually they want to present some kind of uh, kindness, gratitude, appreciation, encouragement, inspiration, and, and wisdom uh, helping you on that that soul path, your, your soul agreement. So that book, t- 
to me, you know, it really, I, I, that's the one I, I gravitate toward relative to that. My third book, which is called The Power of I Am, Aligning the Chakras of Consciousness, brings through those seven centers of consciousness, your chakras, but it brings through the archetypical patterns with each chakra. So each chakra has a lower choice, which is based on fear, and a higher choice, which is based on love. And ultimately, we're, we're working, all of us are working through these 14 little dramas of letting go of the lower vibration and embracing the higher vibration. You know, for example, the throat chakra, the lower choice for the archetype would be the silent child. And the silent child is someone who's repressed and suppressed. It's someone who feels they didn't, either people don't care about what they have to say or what they say doesn't matter, or there could have even been times in their life where they were persecuted um, for speaking their truth or humiliated or shamed. Now, I bring that one up because you have a lot of blue in your energy, and I think you're working a lot on throat chakra. Hmm. To let go of the silent child, you would align with the communicator. And the word I like to associate with the communicator is integrity. Integrity means consistency. It means reliability. It means someone who, no matter who they talk to, they, you know, they're sharing the same truth. Um, they speak their truth. They act their truth. They think their truth. All aspects of themselves, everything complements what, they, what they're doing, who they say they are, and what they're doing. They tend to be very creative. They tend to be you know, great teachers, coaches, counselors, artists, because they have this ability to just uh, express themselves. So see, karmically, someone will be letting go of that silent child, and they'll be embracing uh, their communicator consciousness. So that book, uh, it, it actually has prayers, affirmations, gemstones, flowers, music, um, activities, yoga poses that will keep alignment with each of those seven centers of consciousness. But it also shows the physical diseases and emotional and mental uh, disabilities that can occur in those parts of the body if you're, you're gravitating more toward the, the lower archetype versus the higher one. So, and that one has beautiful pictures, amazing artists from Wales, England, Faith Knowlton. She's, she's well-known overseas, and she illustrated the, the archetypes. And I just absolutely love that book. That book has done so well. My, my first two books, the, the first book is for parents who've lost children. And again, the first part of that book tells the story of Elizabeth, uh, the, the story you read on the website. But it helps par- parents understand that the healing they're doing in this lifetime, once their child leaves, the more that they can heal and, 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 you know, heal through the grief and, and let go of the guilt and the shame and so forth, the more they help their child heal on the other side. And as their child's healing on the other side, they're helping their parents heal on this side. So there's a symbiotic relationship that, that exists. And whether your child was, you know, unborn or your child, you know, was 80 when they died. It's, I did a reading for a lady in her 90s, and, and she had a, a son who had just passed who was in his upper 70s. And it's pretty amazing, but she wow. still has that, you know, that's her child. Yeah. And there, there's that special bond, and there's a, a, a very important karma that exists between a parent and a child. So the book helps people understand, and I use a lot of analogies from, you know, everyone thing from Dr. Seuss um, to Winnie the Pooh. And the second book is called What's Cooking in Heaven, Grandma? And this was a fun book to read 
because I knew five grandmas. I had two grandmas, three great grandmas, and they all had different cultural backgrounds, and they all uh, cooked. So I have recipes in the book, but I set the book up like a seven-course meal around the seven chakras and the lessons, because grandmas are very anxious to come through in readings, because they tend to be our, our number one cheerleaders uh, when they're here and when they cross over. And even if you had a grouchy grandma, you know, she's out of that um, mindset. They, they can be very, very helpful from the other side. And they're very linked to your soul family, and they really want to help you get your lesson. And uh, so, so that book, again, it, it, it's written metaphorically as a recipe book um, with a seven-course meal with each of the seven chakras uh, being part of that meal. But it, it's, it's food for the soul. Where can people find the books? I know you've got information about the books on your website, but where can they buy them? Yeah, Amazon uh, has access to them. Um, my last book I published with iUniverse, so they have it available on their website. But, yeah, I mean, most people gravitate toward Amazon, and if they want to get a signed copy, they can go to my my website and order it, and then I sign it and send it. I have one more question for you, then we're going to be out of time. And this is um, this is actually something that's kind of generated from what I've been reading in our chat room. Um, there are a lot of people that have had losses recently, um, you know, losses of loved ones. And everybody who has gone through that is, is taking that grief and looking for comfort somewhere. What, what um, you know, few words can you offer somebody who has had a recent loss that is looking for some comfort? So the, the best advice I can give them is no matter who you talk to, um, you know, no matter what you're going through, you're feeling it because there's a deep connection with that, that soul. And that, and I say connection because that connection will never go away. And no one can, can do anything to change it. Um, you can go to a medium and they can give you insight and they can give you messages and they can give you evidence. But, Ultimately, that connection you have, do everything you can to nurture it. You know, in the old days, and I can't tell you how many people I've talked to where they lost a parent when they were young and the pictures disappeared and they weren't allowed to talk about them anymore, and that's truly a loss. But what I try to help, especially parents, understand is your child wants to be part of you. Um, I, I did a talk recently uh, before Valentine's Day, and we talked about ways to integrate them, you know, for Valentine's, uh, for Christmas, for all the different holidays. Don't deny them being part of your heart. You know, allow them to be a part and, and talk about them and share their stories. And because their stories are in this, intertwined with, with yours, there, there's a principle called entanglement when it comes to spirit. And it, you can't, no matter what you try to do, you can't destroy that connection. And that link. And yes, we love that physical hug and we love that conversation and so forth, but we can have those. And there's methods and ways you can learn to do that through automatic writing and dream analysis and meditation. Um, but, but just nurture that relationship and, and know that it's still there and, and, and connect with it through your heart more than your mind. Jeff, it's been a great discussion, very inspirational, very enlightening. Best of luck with the books. I hope you'll promise to come back and do another uh, discussion with us sometime down the road because I really enjoyed having you here tonight. 
Oh, thank you so much. I, I enjoyed your questions. They're very uh, thoughtful and insightful, but thanks for the opportunity. All right. Thank you. And once again, his website, Jeff's website is Jeff Joet. It's G-E-O-F for Jeff. And the last name is spelled J-O-W-E-T-T. It's jeffjoet.com. Information about his books and all of his other work as well. He offers uh, readings and consultations. It's all on the website. You can find it there. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.